Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. The Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns fought till the very end in a very tough first-round NCAA tournament matchup, but came up three points short against Tennessee. Dawson Arzler with you again here for the second day, once again filling in for Kevin Foote, who is traveling back from Orlando after covering the Cajuns last night. We are, of course, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Uh, it should be a fun Friday show here. Not as fun as it would have been if the Cajuns could have pulled through last night, but um, still a lot going on. It was an entertaining game, the second half certainly more so than the first, so we will get into that, of course. We'll get my full reaction to it, and um, I'll kind of kind of set the, the scene of what I think of the program moving forward and kind of some of the pieces that are going to be back and, and trying to look at what that may look like. We're also going to talk to Nick Fontenot coming up here in the next segment. Of course, the Pelicans are a disaster right now. They've got a game against Houston Rockets tonight, so we will get his perspective on um, how panicked he is at this point and, and what they're what there really is left to accomplish this season for them. And we'll also get his take maybe on a brighter note on the Saints and some of the moves that they made this week, which, of course, we've already touched on a good bit. But um, I think we're, we're all in all great moves overall. We will talk to McNeese play-by-play man Tom Hafer. And so the last time we spoke with Tom at the end of last week, it was rumored, the Will Wade rumors were certainly fired up, and we had an idea that that might be where McNeese went, but... It wasn't finalized yet, and he hadn't been introduced and all that. So we'll kind of get, uh, we'll kind of touch on his opinions um, on the Will Wade hiring and kind of where he thinks McNeese basketball can be moving forward. And we'll also talk a little McNeese baseball and softball with him as well, as those teams are getting ready and ramped up for Southland Conference play and are both playing pretty well as of late. We will, of course, talk to Kevin Foote um, in the second hour, just as we did yesterday, and get his reaction to everything about the Cajuns and kind of moving forward with with that program, and then. Um, we'll also talk a little bit of Cajun baseball because, of course, the Cajuns, uh, that doesn't feel like it, but they open conference play tonight, and that's kind of snuck up on me, but um, we'll talk about that, and Cajun softball is also opening conference play. They'll play tomorrow against Southern Miss. There's been some weather in that area that has impacted some of that. There's a lot of weather. Uh, we're, of course, experiencing it here um, at the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, so hope everybody's being safe out there with all the weather issues that are going on, and I think there's kind of a lot of bad weather just in the in the general southern portion of the United States this weekend, so uh, that's certainly something to monitor. Um, but I want to start with the Cajuns, and um, it was, you know, I, I talked a lot about how you don't get a chance to necessarily see these matchups too, too often. Of course, it had been since 2014 since the Cajuns had been in the NCAA tournament, so that was something that uh, should be enjoyed and, and cherished, you know, and, and try to enjoy the moment. I tried to do... My best to enjoy the moment, because um, I, of course, as an alum and as a uh, fan of the school, you know, sometimes get very uh, emotional about the the results and stuff like that. So I went into this tournament trying to borrow a term from my, uh, you know, my show host Kevin Foot and call it a hammock tournament. I, I wanted to say, look, my expectations or my goals for the Cajuns coming into the season was to finish what they started last year and win the Sunbelt Conference tournament and get back to the NCAA tournament. And they got that done. They accomplished that. So I uh, I didn't want to get so caught up and frustrated with the result of this game if it didn't go quite the right way. And um, so I think I was able to do that. And after the first half, I maybe wouldn't have said that because I was very upset with the way they played in the first half. But 
the Cajuns did what they've done all year, and that was not quit. Um, they didn't give in. They put on a show in the second half. A couple of guys who you know, weren't always the focal points offensively stepped up and made plays and hit shots, and they made a game of it. So I think that's something to be proud of. Let's 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 talk about this game for a little bit. Tennessee comes in and, you know, look, they're a team that we knew had a little bit of struggles offensively from everything we gathered. Now, this was a team that got into the top five in the rankings. We knew that. They were a really, really good team at once. At one point, a national con, you know title contender um, and favorite, so to speak. But they had some offensive struggles towards the end of the season, and they lost their point guard, who was a big factor for them. So we figured they might struggle on the offensive side a little bit. We did know that they were a great defensive team. Um, They were very good defending in the interior, and they were very good defending the three-point shot. So that was a bit concerning for UL because, of course, Jordan Brown is kind of the guy that makes everything go, and then you want to kick out to open shooters, and the Cajuns were a very good three-point shooting team. That kind of played out in the first half. Your kind of worst nightmare scenario in which they didn't really get much inside. Brown hit a couple of shots early. Kind of kept you in it. It was back and forth in the very you know the first few minutes of the game, so that was nice. But when it came to finding open shots on the outside, you didn't have much, and um, there was a lot that led to that. I thought Tennessee was very aggressive defensively. Um, I thought the officials let a lot go in this game. They really, really did. They did not call a lot of uh, you know holding calls down low, which we've seen Jordan Brown get held all year. Um, especially in Sunbelt play. We've seen it at times three, four times in a row down the court where opponents are holding him because, you know, obviously they can't stop him. Um, I thought Tennessee got away with some of that. Now, the Cages were able to get away with it too, so I don't think it was one-sided, but I think that favored Tennessee because they like to, you know, they got physical with Jordan Brown, and I think it, you know, while he still had a pretty good game, all things considered, Jordan Brown ends up with 16 points. Um, he fought inside. He hit a couple of really tough circus shots, as he seems to always do. But the other guys were not able to do anything in the first half. I mean, really anything at all. You end up first half with 19 points, and you went on a couple of runs. It was a first half that was filled with runs. The whole game really was kind of filled with runs on both sides. And the Cajuns went on an 8-0 run to tie the game at 19 apiece. And you felt like, okay, here they are. They're starting to feel okay offensively. They're settling in a little bit. They're playing great defense. So, we, you know, this should be uh, a good game. And then Tennessee ends the first half on an 11-0 run in which the Cajuns did not could not throw it into the ocean. I mean, they could not buy a bucket. They were missing three-point looks. They were missing, you know, inside shots like Terrence Lewis missed a couple that he never misses. And so you just had no answer offensively for a stretch there. Um, that was tough. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say they never recovered from that because, again, they put together a great comeback effort. But that 11-0 run after you had just gained the momentum to kind of lose that and go into the half down 11 uh, was very difficult to deal with. All that being said, they come back out in the second half, um, and again, Tennessee's defense didn't let up, as we knew they wouldn't, and you start this lead starts to get stretched out in spurts. You still can't buy a three-point shot. You had zero threes in the first half. You know, Me and Kevin talked about the fact that we thought you needed maybe eight to ten three-point looks, at least somewhere around seven to be competitive. Zero in the first half did not. Seemed like a good number to be at, of course. Um, But then something happened when the lead got to around 18 and and you felt like maybe this could get out of hand and you started to worry about, you know, just getting run out of the gym in an NCAA tournament game. uh, A couple of guys stepped up. Kobe Julian, who I will give Kevin Foote credit if you were following along with him on Twitter last night. He kept tweeting, you got to get Kobe involved on offense. I think Kobe's the answer. Um, A night where Greg Williams, look, and and I said this already on the first show, I feel very bad for Greg Williams. Um, 
he had an outstanding career here at UL. He did, you know, incredible things. And he was he was this team's best scorer for a large portion of the season. Let's not forget that. He was clearly impacted by the injury last night. Um, and, and, you know, if it wasn't the injury itself, then it certainly was the rustiness from the injury. There was something off with Greg, and that was the same way it was in the championship game. And, and I just feel for him because that's his last game as a Cajun, and you know he wanted to go out on top. And he was this team's, you know, one of their best players and certainly their best scorer for such big stretches, but he didn't have anything for you. And Kobe Julian stepped up and he hit a couple of shots. He went on a nice little run there where he was just kind of, you know, making everything. He had a couple of three-point shots. He, you know, in the first half, he had a little fadeaway jumper in the lane that I thought was a really tough shot. And so Kobe gets things going and you put this run together. The momentum in the building changes. Cajun fans showed out. So props to the uh, to Cajun Nation for that. There was a nice showing of Vermillion and White in the building in Orlando, and they kind of got in the momentum of the game. And the other guy that stepped it up was Mr. Tournament himself, Jalen Dalcourt. You know, I was joking around. I said, if if we could just convince Jalen Dalcourt that every game was, you know, win or die, the guy would average 30 points a game uh, because he has showed up in the must-win games for the Cajuns over and over again, not just this season, but last season as well, when you go back to what he did in Pensacola that time around. So Dalcourt, he hit the first three, which was kind of like, a deep breath. Okay, we can hit a three-point shot. We, you know, the rims don't have a lid on them. Let's go to work here. And you chipped away. You chipped away. You got it down to five with around five minutes to play. And I thought they fought very hard. You know, in the end, it kind of became a situation where you just ran out of time. Tennessee honestly didn't have any interest in in trying to score for the last five or six minutes of that game. They were in, you know, just pure hold on to the lead mode. And it almost cost them. They end up winning the game by three. You get it down to a one-score game at the very end, but you're never really able to take a shot when it was a one-score game. Uh, Dalcourt took a three down five that if he'd have made it, it'd have made it really interesting, or maybe down four, I believe. Um, but he wasn't able to get that one to go. So all in all, it's a 58-55 loss, but a well-fought game, and the Cajuns really battled. And so I just I, that's kind of my takeaway from this. Very proud of the effort from those guys. Very proud of what Bob Marlin and his coaching staff were able to do, you know, as an alumni of the school. And, and I feel like they represented uh, themselves extremely well. And um, this was a, this is a team that will be remembered in Cajun history, no doubt about it. They did something that hadn't been done in almost a decade. And uh, they almost got a win in the NCAA tournament, which would have set up an interesting matchup with Duke. So I think that's kind of my big takeaway from that. And, you know, as we kind of turn the page on it, and you start to look towards next year. That's what you know everyone has to do when you lose your last game of the season, right? And this team is going to bring some guys back. Now, they do lose some guys, and let's talk about that first. Greg Williams, as I mentioned, is going to be gone. Um, Terrence Lewis is a transfer that came in, had a great season here, but it will be his lone season here as he's going to be out of eligibility as well. So that's immediately two huge pieces that you have to replace. And, you know, the elephant in the room, Jordan Brown is – most likely going to leave. Now, I say most likely. It is certainly not definite. Jordan Brown does have eligibility left if he wants to come back to Louisiana. Um, And I I wouldn't say it's a done deal. He never made a formal declaration during the season that said he was going to leave. He was honored on senior day, but we've seen guys honored on senior day that end up coming back before. That's not unprecedented. So he's going to have a decision to make. And the beauty of the way the NBA does things nowadays is that you can go out and explore your options without having to commit. It wasn't always like that. Remember, you know, in the past, if you declared for the draft, you declared for the draft, and that was it, and your college eligibility expired. And if you didn't get drafted, tough luck. They've changed some of those rules, which I think is great, because, you know, these 18- to 22-year-old kids should have every opportunity to evalu- to be evaluated and told, 
hey, look, your game's ready for the league. You're probably ready to come out. You're going to make a lot of money and you're going to be successful. Or, hey, look, there's a couple of things you probably need to work on. I think maybe staying in college is your best bet. Play another year. Maybe work on these things and come back out next year. And we'll talk about that again. So Jordan's going to have that opportunity. Um, and look, if, I hope he makes the best decision for him. If that's coming back to Louisiana and running it back with the Cajuns, I'd be ecstatic. And I think you'd immediately put yourselves as Sunbelt frontrunners once again if that happens. But if he thinks he's got a shot to, to make it at the next level right now and the pro scouts tell him the same, then I hope he goes on and has a great professional career because I think he's done great things. And again, he's a guy that was a legacy player here. His dad played here and did great things. Jordan originally you know, went, was a five-star top recruit he went elsewhere he went to Nevada didn't fully work out you know he went he had a couple of stops along the way but what he was able to accomplish was impressive so I think Jordan's a big you know that's a big question mark right now but I would I would imagine that you move forward without him if he does decide to leave and then it's up to Bob Marlin to bring a couple of transfers in we know he's gonna he's done that in the past he's probably gonna do that again and I think that's gonna be key there are some pieces though Joe Charles is going to be back he's a great defensive player a three and d guy if he can continue to kind of work on his offensive game I think he has a you know, a definite role on this roster, if not in the starting lineup, then certainly off the bench. Michael Thomas and Themis Folks, the two point guards, will be back uh, if they so choose to be. And I, I, you know, that's an interesting spot there. If you do bring both your point guards back, then you got to feel really good about how you're able to run your offense. Themis had 11 assists last night. Look, I know he turned the ball over too much. I know that's frustrating. Um, but I thought Themis overall was fantastic throughout the season and settled you down at the point guard spot. And Mike Thomas was great off the bench for you, too. And he played a pivotal role in some of those games. So I think those guys are intriguing. I think Kobe Julian has a chance to be a feature guy for this team. And I hope he does because he's a guy who's been through so much. We've covered that before. All the injuries and things that he's dealt with in his career. For him to hopefully come back and maybe have a full offseason where he's not rehabbing an injury, but he's just working on his game and staying healthy and, and feeling good about himself, I think Kobe Julian could very easily come back and be a preseason all Sunbelt team guy um, the way he was a couple of years ago, and step into a starting role, a bigger role on this team. And I think he he's a guy you can build around, no doubt about it. His offensive game, look, we saw it a bit last night, but we've seen it in spurts throughout his career. He's an elite offensive talent when everything's rolling. Um, so Kobe's a guy. And look, there's other guys that I haven't mentioned here in this segment, but the, the roster is not being depleted. You're losing some key pieces, no doubt about it. But I think there's a foundation there that Bob Marlin and his staff can take and they'll take a look at it, I'm sure, in the coming months, evaluate where they need to maybe get some extra talent in. I'm sure they'll go to the transfer portal and get a couple of guys. And, you know, you'll, of course, have a freshman class that's coming in as well. So I think good things ahead for the Raging Cajuns. Proud of the effort last night. They come up short, once again, 58-55 to Tennessee in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So that will conclude their season, but a job well done right there. we got to take a timeout. But when we return, we're going to talk to Nick Fontenot about the Saints and the Pelicans. Hopefully, uh, Figure something out with that Pelican team. Maybe they can get a win tonight against Houston. That's next right here on Footnotes. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update, presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back into Footnotes. Once again, Dawson Eisler filling in for Kevin Foote, who is on his way back from Orlando after 
covering the Cajuns last night. So I did want to mention, um, I know I've kind of explained this a little bit. It's tough for me as doing the producing and the hosting to be answering calls. I'm going to see, we're going to maybe do a uh, calling segment because I know some of you have been calling in. I haven't been able to get to them. Um, I do still have the Twitter, uh, the tweet up at the game, uh, game underscore Louisiana if you want to interact with the show that way, and we'll try and get to some of those comments as well. But uh, we will see about doing a calling segment maybe around 1030. I'll uh, update you on that if that's what we do. But right now, we're going to talk all things Saints and Pelicans with our guy, Nick Fontenot. Nick, how's it going, man? Pretty good, man. People got to understand, you're a one-man show today. You can't do it all. Bro. Well, we're, we're, we're trying to. You know, we're trying to. We're trying to, to, to do the best we can here, pushing all the buttons. But, um, Nick, I'm going to try and this – we're going to start negatively here with the Pelicans, and we're going to try and raise our spirits by the end. That's my plan. That, that, that works for me. I like to do it that way. All right, so – the Pelicans are not a very good basketball team right now. We know that. Um, but they play a pretty soft schedule coming up in the next couple of weeks. It starts tonight against Houston. Um, now, Houston, coincidentally, has been playing some pretty good basketball of late. Do you see the Pelicans getting things going and figuring it out at least enough to beat a bottom feeder in the Western Conference? I don't see it going as well as I thought it did a few weeks ago. I mean, I was looking forward to these games as kind of what you're, what you're describing, like a get-right a get time where you can, you know, maybe you struggle with those teams that they struggled against. You start to play the Rockets and the Spurs and the Hornets, and you're like, okay, they should go 4-0. I, I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like what the Pelicans are doing right now on the court is they're just playing basketball. They they. They go out there and they and they just play basketball and what happens happens and they're, they're, nobody's out there trying to win or trying to compete. They're they're accidentally falling into a win every now and then, but for the yeah. most part, they're playing against teams like the Lakers that are trying to win these games. They're trying to make the playoffs. They're trying to work towards the championship, and the Pelicans are just not doing that. They're just rolling the ball out there, and what happens happens. And sometimes you're going to accidentally get a win but I don't feel like the coaches are putting them into a situation to win. And so even though they have games against the Rockets, you mentioned it. The Rockets have been playing great. They beat the Lakers recently. They beat the Celtics uh, a few days ago. And so, no, I don't think the Pelicans are going to go in and do what I thought they were going to do and, and win both of these games at Houston. I think they're going to get a split at best. And, and when you're splitting against teams like the Rockets, you're not a team that has any aspirations for the playoffs. Oh, well, I would certainly agree. And and the other thing about these two games is they're against the Rockets, but they're on the road. And as right. we know, the Pelicans have been one of the worst road teams in the NBA. Now, to be fair, the whole Western Conference has been pretty bad on the road. Again, the the only team, even including Denver, the only team in the Western Conference with a winning record on the road is Sacramento. But given that they're eleven and twenty three. Do you have it? That's another you know layer to this. I, I don't have any confidence that they can win back to back road games. Definitely, yeah. It's 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 going to, it's going to Houston. They play tonight, and then having a day off at Houston, and, and you know, I, I think this team, what we were seeing earlier in the year, this togetherness. That's what we were talking about. Like these these guys that just like each other, and so they're going to play well together. I I don't know how much that how much merit that has anymore. I don't I don't think that works. You you need somebody that's in there who who you don't like, right? I mean, we've seen these teams over the years in the NBA where they have a guy like, like a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant. I'm not saying you're going to have anybody at that level, but the team doesn't like those guys, right? Michael Jordan was, was not nice. He was not friends with these guys, and neither was Kobe Bryant. And you have a team where everybody are, are our best friends, 
it kind of seems like that's what the Pelicans are doing. I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's good, and that may, that may translate to these road losses. When you're going on these road trips and you're hanging out with your buddies and you're hanging out with your guys and you're in these foreign cities and you're doing all kind of fun stuff that these guys are doing, like how much basketball are we concentrating on? How much are we here for a business trip? And how much are we here to hang out with our bros? And I think that's what the Pelicans are going through a lot. And I think that's why it's translating to a lot of these road losses. I've never been one to really concentrate on road games versus home games. But when you're looking at that record, the record that you said, there's something to that. And I think, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that these guys are just really good friends and they're not competitors. And I think winning is secondary to just hanging out with our friends and playing basketball. Well, it's, cer- it's certainly an interesting way to look at it. And, and, and I'm not, you know, I hadn't necessarily thought of it that way, but I wouldn't dismiss that. So, you know, you bring some off the court things there. What about on the court though? Who's got to be the guy? Because it felt like Ingram was going to come back and maybe put the team on his back, but then he hasn't been able to consistently be in the lineup or be tremendously effective every night when he's in there. Is it a matter of him getting back going, or, or can we finally expect this team to get something other than one night where Trey Murphy goes off for 41 points out of nowhere? Yeah, we have to, we have to figure, out, figure that out, right? That, that's, that's exactly the question that has to be figured out over the next, let's say, four or five games where, you know, Dawson, we kind of talked about it off the air the other day. I think this season is over, right? So let's yeah. stop worrying about this season, right? They're, they're not going to win a championship. And even if they make the play, the play-in game and the playoffs, they're more than likely going to be ousted in the first round. So let's stop worrying about this year. Start worrying about right. what we have next year. And I think that involves playing these younger guys, playing like Dyson Daniels, playing Kyra Lewis. I think what we have with these guys, are they pieces that we can – can, can use to build around Zion Williamson and, and maybe Brandon Ingram if he sticks around and maybe C.J. McCollum if he sticks around. Like, are those guys really our big three? And what do right. we have around them? Trey Murphy going off for 41 the other night and, 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 and against the Blazers and then getting that win and then abandoning him completely when Brandon Ingram comes back against the Lakers. Like, that's a problem. That is a coaching problem. That is a strategy and schematic problem that needs to be fixed clearly Trey Murphy has the ability to do something like that on a consistent basis. Why are we not trying to figure that out? I think they're just so dead set on, on Brandon Ingram being the focal point why Zion's out. It's like, no, when, when, when Brandon Ingram was out against the Blazers, Trey was the focal point of the offense. He went for 41, and they won the game. Like That is something that can happen. And I just feel like once they get Brandon Ingram back in the lineup, they abandon those things. Like Let's try to figure that out. And see exactly what you're saying. Can somebody else carry the load every once in a while? They just don't do that offensively. Well, we'll get a chance to see if maybe they get things figured out in Houston. An interesting little back-to-back where they'll play uh, two games against Houston with an off day in between. But let's shift over to the Saints because they had a pretty incredible week. Um, You know, we talked last week, of course, about all the holes and things they needed to do. And Mickey Loomis went out and filled most of those holes up. I mean, he went and got two defensive tackles in a span of about 15 minutes apart from each other. And just when we were ecstatic about that, he went out and got a downhill running back that Kevin Foote's excited about, that I am too, in Jamal Williams. So where did this flurry of moves come from, and, and how does Mickey Loomis continue to do what he does? I have no idea how he does what he does. And Dawson, I listened to the show yesterday, you filling in for Kevin, and, and you said it perfectly. He won the day yesterday. I mean, how could he have possibly done any better? Filling those needs with, with those types of players and then, and then capping it off with Jamal Williams. I'm, I'm concerned about how he was able to get Jamal Williams for 
for three years, $12 million. Yeah. That, does, that doesn't make sense to me as to why that happened. And I, I don't think it's raising a, enough red flags for people like, what's going on with Jamal Williams after coming <laughs> off his 1,000-yard, 17-touchdown performance that he would only sign a contract for three years, $12 million? Like, I, I, it, it seems really low, and it, it, it can't be Mickey Loomis just working his magic. Like, there has to be something there. There has to be some kind of, uh, you know, variable that we're not – we're not looking at for him to get such a great contract for a player like Jamal Williams. He's exactly the type of running back that we need. I don't think that they're done in this offseason process. And I just think he's, he's done a great job. And he continues to prove that no matter what, what were they, $50 million in the cap yep. in the red when, when the thing started? Those numbers just don't matter. He's going to do what he has to do, move players. The certain players are going to leave, and he's going to add the right guys. And he's gonna he's gonna do it right. He's done it every single year, and it just proves that the salary cap is just a myth. Well, and you know, I think part of that is is that the running back market has been kind of reset with Zeke Elliott and the failures of some of those moves, and and maybe, you know, you're not a top level guy, you're not getting paid. But yeah, either way, with what but Jamal Dawson, Williams was able to do, Dawson, it, Dawson, don't you think even 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 if that's right, and I I do agree with you, don't you think coming off of that particular season? For Jamal Williams personally, yeah, that would be his highest. I mean, that would be his. He would be at his all-time personal oh, yeah. high. You know, I, I just don't know what that contract. Well, and, and I'm just kind of shocked that Detroit didn't fight to keep him more. And I, maybe they're dealing with their own, you know, kind of roster reconstruction things. But they're a team that's that's kind of moving towards being competitive. And he was such a big piece. And I mean, presumably they kind of let him walk because you imagine they could have at least matched that offer or maybe upped it a little bit. But here we are. We have Jamal Williams. So I guess we go from there. But Moving forward with this offense, now Michael Thomas is back in the fold. Now Derek Carr is in the fold. Now you have Jamal Williams. This team can kind of get aggressive in the draft. I talked a little bit about that yesterday. I feel like they can kind of chase upside now. What kind of moves would you like to see from here on out? I mean, that's, that's, you're exactly right. They are in a position where they can draft best guy available. And very, very seldom have we been in that position. But, man, we, we went from having a ton of roster holes to filling them with very effective players and being in the, in the best position where you want to be, especially drafting in the 29th spot. I mean, if you're drafting in the top 10, like you usually have a target of guys and a right. target of players that you want. But 29, so many of those guys are probably going to be off the board that you were targeting. You have to kind of pick with what's there. And when you look, you have a board – and you pick in the best guy available, that's the position you want to be in. And so I think Mickey Loomis and Kai and those guys in the front office have done a great job so far in the last few days, starting with the Derek Carr signing, getting like the number one quarterback on the free agent board, and then every move they've made so far has been great. And I think the draft is going to be very fun right now because what was looking like we were going to be is, man, they're going to need a running back, they're going to need a defensive tackle, and, and those those players don't really do well in the first round. Now they can kind of they can pick whoever they want. I just think they've done a great job. And and I told myself I wasn't going to be uh, in in a position to to believe that they could do something special next year just because <laughs> I'm so low on Dennis Allen. But man, I've completely turned it around and and I'm I'm back to I'm back to believing and back to being all in that they, they have a possibility to do something special next year. Well, there we go. We we raised the spirits at the end. So. <laughs> I'm I'm hoping next week uh, we'll have you know when Kevin's back maybe some Pelicans positive things to talk about and uh, who knows maybe Mickey Loomis will pull something else off until then but appreciate your time as always for coming on thanks Nick all right Dawson thanks man.
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes on the Game. Dawson Iserlow again filling in for Kevin Foote here on Footnotes. And right now we're going to get a chance to talk to the McNeese play-by-play man, Tom Hafer. And there's a lot going on in McNeese athletics, of course. We talked to him a little bit last week about the potential of Will Wade being hired, but it's now a done job, a done deal. So to get his uh, thoughts on that and everything else, Tom Hafer, how are you? Well, great, and it has been uh, a busy few weeks here in, uh, at the McNeese Athletics. It's uh, been kind of crazy with the, the conference tournament, the, uh, uh, the you know baseball and softball doing well, and, and ongoing spring football has uh, started, and they're out practicing. And then you got the Will Wade thing, which has really uh, dominated the news. It's uh, it's been nuts since last Monday. Well, yeah, and I, no, I certainly have probably seen McNeese on the uh, ESPN ticker more this week than um, any week before. But <laughs> we, you know, we we knew it was a possibility, a good possibility, um, the last time we spoke with you. But now it's all done. He has, you know, he's done his introductory press conference. He's, you know, McNeese has come out and announced a, a suspension and some other things. It's it's been a lot that's happened. So, kind of, what is your overall perspective on this process and and now what McNeese basketball can look like moving forward? Well, I, I honestly think that this was planned weeks ago, and uh, they've been working on it ever since that time. Uh, we we first heard some rumblings about Will Wade more than a month ago. Um, we had no clue that it was as uh, as likely right. at that point as it turned out to be. Uh, but but obviously, both Coach Wade and uh, and Heath Troyer, the athletic director, have said multiple times how much homework and and how much planning and how much of the background details McNeese has done. And a part of that is that suspension, that five-game suspension and some other limitations on recruiting, et cetera, uh, to satisfy the NCAA and uh, and make sure that this is uh, all done, you know, in a way that that, uh, doesn't reflect back to the program later on. And so hats off to the administration for the work that they did to do this. And then the uh, pomp and circumstance, which uh, which came with the introduction, was all a lot of fun, too. Uh, we have never had fans show up at the airport uh, to uh, greet the new basketball coach. That's not happened at McNeese before, to my knowledge. In fact, I don't think they ever flew here before. I think they drove their car. So uh, it's it's all been uh, – it's just been well-orchestrated. Coach Wade has been phenomenal in – getting out. I mean, he was already at, out, um, you know, meeting with boosters and, mm-hmm. and just with fans last night and those types of things. So uh, he's doing his part and uh, he's got three uh, transfers already signed and uh, ready to come in. And uh, it's been, it's been as planned so far. Well, you talk about the transfers that he's already gotten, you know, to commit and his activity. We, we saw what Will Wade did at LSU. He's not going to waste any time getting talent in the building. Uh, when you look at the landscape of the Southland Conference, that's another thing that we've been able to bring up a little bit. Teams have had quick success in this conference. It's it's certainly not the best basketball league in the, in the nation right now. 
So there's maybe an opportunity to win fast. And do you think the expectations will be high immediately within the program? I know the outside media and things are going to want him to win right away. I know Will thinks he's going to win right away. But does the administration, does the program, do you think they expect to to be competing for the Southland Championship in year one? Well, I think they believe they can. I don't know that it's an expectation that they will but uh, Northwestern State did a major turnaround after uh, you know losing, getting rid of their coach, and now uh, having the guy that came in from Missouri State. I'm forgetting his name. He turned him around in one year, and now he's left and gone to Austin P. Already. Right. Uh, so that was a one-year turnaround to be the second best team in the league and in the conference championship. It's very doable, and uh, also interesting. Coach Wade. Uh, I don't know if you heard this comment at his introductory, um, the, the announcement, sort of the welcome that was for fans and boosters and that sort of stuff. He stated, um, you know, McNeese lost 23 games last year. We will win at least 23 games in my first year. And uh, he, he said it as at least, so we went to the press conference afterwards, and somebody asked a question. Uh, RP3 may have been the guy that yeah, asked the was. question, I think. And uh, he said, you know, uh, how are you going to get to these 23 wins? And Will Wade's comment was, I said, at least. Wow. <laughs> so the confidence is there from Will Wade, if, if not uh, more, more brash than confident. Well, he's never lacked confidence, that's, that's for sure. I do want to get to the Diamond Sports in a minute, but I'll, I'll have one more on Wade here. You know, the hiring like this, we've seen McNeese, of course, position themselves pretty well within the Southland Conference. They're hosting conference tournaments. They're, you know, they're towards the top in most sports. Basketball now may be on the way up. What does the hiring of Will Wade do for McNeese as a whole and the athletic program and maybe trying to continue to, of course, I think they have big ambitions, right? So what does that do for that? Yeah, it's it's part of the whole picture, Um uh, the administration, both um, uh, at the president's level and at the athletic director's level, have said the goal for McNeese at some point down the road is to be an FBS school. Um, having a good basketball program that is launched by Will Wade and the revenues that come with that would be uh, a big selling point to a conference that might be looking uh, you know, for replacements because they've lost a few, you know, those, those types of deals. Right. So that's definitely part of the plan. Um, and so far executed very well. Uh, it, it is a home run swing. It, it's not, you know, it's not a, Hey, maybe this guy will have us turned around in five years kind of plan. This is going for it right now to, to reestablish things immediately. And, and that's really interesting and it's going to be a fun ride no guarantees from me uh mm-hmm. coach wade seems pretty confident well it certainly will be so all right let's let's quickly switch over to the diamond sports you know mcneese baseball and softball both came into the season with you know pretty lofty expectations and i i would think they lived up to that so far they're both playing well right now the baseball team's got one more series here coming up against yale in non-conference before they get to southland play where do you see that team right now, and, and what do they have to do to be ready when conference play begins? Well, the, the baseball team's off to a really good start at 12-5. and five. They've played some good teams along the way. This has not been on a, you know, a, 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 a cake schedule at all, um, and they've done things like swept George Washington and won two out of three on the road at Texas Arlington, lost two out of three at home to Creighton. 
Um, and some tough, you know, midweek games, a couple of good against the Raging Cajuns. Now they swept Prairie View. They beat Mississippi, uh, Mississippi Valley State uh, in the midweek game this week. So they're on a four-game winning streak and taking on Yale. I, I can't tell you a thing about Yale, but I know they're well-funded. I know that they have gotten people into the major leagues in the past, um, and that will be a good test. Um, you know, it's, again, not playing a cupcake-type schedule for uh, the out-of-conference games and uh, – you know, we'll just see if they're uh, if they're good this weekend. It's an interesting thing that the the Cowboys are averaging only like two and a half hours for their games on the year, yeah, the which Cajuns is incredible. The, the worst thing about those February and March baseball games is they have a tendency to use you know yeah. eight pitchers per team in the cold and last four hours, etc. Well. Uh, their their games on uh, on Friday nights, and that's Grant Rogers, the the, uh, the Friday night pitcher. Mm-hmm. He's got them at like two hours and fifteen minutes on average. And that's a crazy statistic for college baseball. And uh, apparently, Grant Rogers doesn't care if they have a pitch clock or not. He's just going <laughs> to take the ball and throw it. Well, you mentioned tough schedules, non-conference, and McNeese softball would certainly also fall into that category. We've seen them play some top, competi- top competition and beat top competition. Uh, they're 16-9 and nine as they enter conference play at Incarnate Word this weekend. Uh, where do you see them? There's some other interesting teams in the Southland Conference. Southeastern's been pretty good. Do you still think McNeese is the favorite at this point? Yeah, I would say so, but but not you know I don't say that with confidence. Like yeah, they are going to be it. They're mm-hmm. they're good and and they've continued to be, um, you know, uh, willing to take on tough opponents. They won two out of three at Monroe. That's good. They beat Houston in a run rule game in the midweek game. Played the Cajuns last week. That's a you know obviously a tough opponent there. So so they've done that. In fact. Playing now against Incarnate Word, they're a team. It's I think they're nine and ten on the season. I've forgotten exactly, but but they're kind of a um, I would call them a middle of the pack Southland Conference mm-hmm. team. Um, they have not played anybody close to what the schedule that the Cowgirls have played. I think they played Texas um, is probably the best opponent that they've had so far. Uh, but but beyond that, they just haven't had nearly the schedule that McNeese had, and, and they don't have the record. I think this is a great opportunity for. Uh, the Cowgirls to get off to a good start in conference. We'll see if they're able to do that on the road. All right, well, it should be fun to watch. Thank you for coming on, and we'll have you back on next week when Kevin gets back. Awesome. Glad to talk to you, Dawson. Take care. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes on the game. Dawson Angelo in for Kevin Foote today. And so I wanted to talk a little NCAA tournament big picture here. Of course, we already covered the Cajuns and kind of the uh, the tough loss to Tennessee last night. But 
We did get a uh, comment slash question in on Twitter, and it's from Chris, who asks, other than the two huge upsets, a fairly chalk day in the NCAA tournament, is that a sign of potential chaos today? And I certainly hope so. So that would be my answer to Chris. And I know he probably feels the same way. I know, I know Chris loves some college basketball. So, yeah, it was a little bit tame. It was an interesting day because, again, I've mentioned how it's one of my favorite days of the year, and today is as well. And we got these crazy results early. Um, I was eating lunch right around the time of these first two games kind of coming to an end. And then you see the West Virginia-Maryland game, which was a really back-and-forth game. West Virginia had a big lead early. Maryland fights their way back in it, has the lead late. West Virginia kind of takes the lead back. Um, Ultimately, Maryland ends up with the lead, and West Virginia has a three at the buzzer that just doesn't go down. So a great finish. You go, wow, you know, that was an 8-9 matchup. So, of course, wouldn't have been an upset either way, but... I do think West Virginia was the favorite team there, so it was a bit of a surprise. And then we get the unbelievable ending in the Furman game. So, of course, if you didn't see it, we covered it a little bit on RP3. Um, a fifth-year senior, a guy who had been there and won a national title with Virginia, had the ball in the corner. He was kind of trapped, and he basically threw the ball up for grabs. Virginia was up by two with about 10 seconds left at this point. It's intercepted by Furman, who then makes a pass and hits a game-winning three with two seconds left. So a 13 over a four, it was a... Huge shock and a great way to start March Madness. But after that, yeah, we didn't get a ton. We didn't get a ton. So, you know, the Cajuns had an upset bid against Tennessee. They didn't come through. Um, And then, of course, we did get the Princeton result. So that one was huge, and that was the biggest upset of the day, a 15 seed taking down Arizona. That was exciting. That game was it was interesting, too, because the Furman game, Furman trailed so much and then just kind of clawed their way back, just kept hanging around, and then was able to beat Virginia in the end. Um, But when it came to that Arizona-Princeton game, Princeton's just a team that always comes to play in the tournament. And, you know, look, in the Ivy League, you you get a lot of the same teams, right? Yale always comes out of the Ivy League, Princeton as well. We've seen Harvard a few times. But it is a smaller conference, and so we get to see some of these teams a little bit more often. And I just can remember Princeton playing several close games and not getting it done. Well, this time they come through and they beat Arizona. Um, but other than that, we didn't get a ton. So I, I do think today could see more of that. I, I still like Kent State or Indiana. You know, I said that yesterday. I know my three upset picks were Charleston, Kent State, and VCU. Charleston didn't come through. They played a tough game but lost in the end of San Diego State. So I'm hoping to rebound today. I, I think in it, going over 500 would be nice, especially considering those are upset picks. So I still think Kent State can get that done. And then it's a question. It was our poll question of the day on RP3 and Company. Which one of the top three seeds is in danger today? And I think it's really interesting. Kennesaw State is a is a really solid team. They beat Liberty a couple of times, who's a very talented team. So they're going to be you know going up against a Xavier team coached by Sean Miller, formerly of Arizona. And if they can you know hit enough shots, I think they have a chance. The other one that people are kind of talking about is Marquette. They're facing Vermont. I think Marquette's been underrated throughout this whole process personally, and I have Marquette making a deep run. But Vermont is, a, you talk about a team that's been there and done that. Vermont has been coming to the NCAA tournament for years now. And so they're, they're used to these types of situations. So Vermont always in play to pull an upset. I think it should be an exciting second day um, in the tournament. And I think the second day, it's funny too, when you get a huge, and I think Chris's point there, when you get a huge day of upsets in the first day, you just expect the natural tendency would be for things to be a little calmer. You can't have chaos both days, right? But on the other hand, you get a day like yesterday, which wasn't you know completely tame. You did have the 15 over 2 is a, is a huge upset. Um, but maybe the lack of uh, volume of upsets means today we could be in store for more. I certainly hope so. Now that the, uh, now that the Cajuns are out of it, you know, it's a little less stressful for me. Um, good and bad, of course, I would have 
preferred them to still be in it. I would I, I wish we were talking about a Cajuns Duke matchup tomorrow night. Um, and that would be what I would probably be focusing much of my energy on in this show. But now that they're out of it, I go back to just kind of being a basketball fan in general. Uh, don't really have a particular team left in the field that I'm um, especially rooting for. So I'm just hoping for some big upsets. Uh, like you all, my bracket's not in the best of shape either. So um, don't even have to really root too hard for that. I will just kind of hope that uh, we see some really good entertaining basketball the rest of the way, and I think we will. So that should be fun. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to talk to Kevin in the second segment, maybe get to some of your calls in the third segment, but we still have to talk about LSU. They're opening the uh, women's tournament today as well as LSU baseball. It's all coming up next right here on The Game. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Hour number one is gone. Hour number two is here. 10.02 is the time. Again, the weather's still pretty bad outside, so I want to make sure everybody's being careful and safe. Um, If you have to be out on the road or anything like that, please do be mindful that the... uh, the weather could be pretty rough for the rest of the day from what we're hearing. So um, first hour, look, we covered a lot. Cajuns, tough loss in the NCAA tournament. I have a lot of, um, you know, I'm really proud of what they were able to accomplish, though, and I'm really hopeful for the programs, you know, the direction they're headed and what Coach Bob Marlon's been able to accomplish. We also talked to Nick Fontenot about the Saints and the Pelicans. Pelicans, of course, are in a world of hurt right now. They've got a chance, though, with four straight games against very subpar opponents. Maybe they can get things figured out a little bit, and pushed their way up the Western Conference standings. We also spoke with Tom Hafer of McNeese, got his uh, thoughts on the Will Wade hire now that it's official, and um, also talked about a little McNeese baseball and softball as they make the push towards Southland Conference play. Um, I also did a little bit on the NCAA tournament, and I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit more today um, You know, in the, in the second hour. But we will be talking to Kevin, the host of the show, of course, coming up next segment, and we'll get his kind of thoughts on what was a wild night in Orlando. He was, of course in the building for that one, so we'll get his um, opinions and thoughts on the season that was in the game and everything like that. We're all going to try and get maybe to some phone calls in the uh, segment after we talk to Kevin. We'll see if we can get that going, and uh, I'll kind of explain how we're going to try and do that with me, again, doing the producing and hosting today. But right now, I do want to talk a little LSU. You know, we get a lot of people kind of asking, where's the LSU baseball talk? And, you know, and look, we're not trying to avoid the subject. We just, again, the way me and Kevin have felt about it for the most part is that they haven't been tested a whole lot, so we kind of wanted to wait for SEC play to really dive into it. We've talked about it before and some of their opponents and taking a look at some things, but um, I do want to get to it briefly here, and then I'll touch on the uh, LSU women, of course, who are going to start their NCAA tournament journey today with pretty big expectations there. But look, I, it's it's pretty simple for me with this LSU baseball team. They're the best team in the country right now, and it's not necessarily close. Now, they haven't been tested by great opponents consistently. So that's fair. So uh, I think it's it's fair for both things to be true. As of now, I haven't seen a team out there that's better than them, and that can really you know challenge them in some in in some of those areas. But we'll have a better idea of just how good they are, just how dominant they can be after we see this weekend, next weekend, and maybe in you know one more after that. They don't start with any cupcakes in SEC play. Now, of course, the SEC in baseball there aren't you know really any easy outs anywhere in the schedule. But they have to go on the road and play Texas A&M this weekend, who's a team who was in the College World Series a year ago, a team that the Cajuns saw, of course, and we're in the College Station Regional. So they know how we know how capable that team is. Uh, they lost some guys, but they're still a top 25 program this year and, and looking to do some big things. 
Um, so this will be a good measuring stick for them. And I think, I think they're probably looking forward to it. I think, I don't know if they're sick of beating teams 15 to nothing, cause that's probably pretty fun, but I'm sure they're ready to, uh, you know, put the, put their record on the line against top level competition, which is what they're going to do throughout SEC play. If you've taken a look at some of the numbers for this LSU team this year, they're just ridiculous. Dylan Cruz specifically, the guy's hitting 519. I mean, we're 17 games in. That's not to say he's going to finish the season anywhere near that. I, I don't think he's going to hit over 500 once he faces SEC pitching for a good bit. But what he's able to do at the plate, it, it's really unbelievable. And he's also, oh, by the way, got five homers and 23 RBIs to go along with seven doubles out of his 28 hits. He's also walked 18 times to lead the team. Um, he's the best hitter in the country, in my opinion, the best all-around player in the country, perhaps. Um, he's just unbelievable in the things that he does at the plate. Look, he's going to be playing at the next level, uh, at a very high level. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the number one overall draft selection at some point in his career. Um, and, and so I think if you're an LSU fan that's that's getting to watch Dylan Cruz night in and night out, that's one of those enjoy it while it's here types of situations. You know, you see that with players every once in a while. Like, look, LSU's not going to have any shortage of great players come through, and there will be others that come after him. But you don't see guys do exactly what he's doing very often. So just impressive there. Tommy White's a guy who came in and and look, he did it last year at NC State. I mean, I, you know, of course I was at Florida State last year and so got to see a lot of NC State baseball and and you know, them being in the ACC and Tommy White was uh must-see television every time they played. And he's brought that same type of thing to LSU. He dealt with the injury very early in the season, didn't miss too much time fortunately for him, and he's just oh by the way hitting 396 with six homers and 27 RBIs. And you have guys like that up and down the lineup. Dugas, Trey Morgan, of course, is only, you know, Trey Morgan's hitting 314. That feels like he's about to break out anytime now, right? So that's kind of where I am with this LSU team. They are as good as advertised, and the pitching rotation, I think, is maybe more impressive because that was kind of the question. You lose one of your top arms before the season, and not to say it didn't affect them because I think they'd obviously rather have him, but Paul Skeens has a .75 ERA in four starts. He's 4-0, and, you know, we knew he was good. We heard everything about it. But there's something about once you see it once, and I think that first you know, Friday night start to open the season kind of said, oh, okay, yeah, this guy is what they said he was going to be. And Thatcher Hurd has done a good job backing him up. Um, today, you know, this weekend, I think they're going to see Ty Floyd, I believe, was named the Saturday starter, so it's going to be Skeens on Friday, Hurd uh, on Sunday, and Ty Floyd will be the Saturday guy. And uh, all three of them have been really, really good. So, you know, if, if those guys pitch the way they did in non-conference against SEC competition, again, maybe they're not going to be as dominant because, of course, you're facing better hitters. But if those guys are giving you length from a starting rotation perspective and they're giving you five to seven innings consistently, then I think you absolutely have enough in that bullpen. And, you know, uh, that's maybe been a bit of a concern. Do they have enough high-end guys in the high-leverage situations? Um, but to this point, Christian Little, Garrett Edwards, like those guys have been lockdown 12 and two-thirds innings pitch for both of them they both have uh, 0.71 ERAs if your ERA is under one that's uh pretty good and so uh, this team is is going to be you know they're going to be the the top dogs and the team that everyone's chasing in the SEC so maybe that puts a little more pressure on them and, and maybe if they get off to a slow start against A&M you have to adjust expectations but as of now I mean what have they shown you to make you think they're not going to be um you know Upwards of a 45-50 win team. I, I haven't seen anything. They're 16-1, and one, and um, they've won most of those games by 10 run rule. So 
Um, that's that's where I am on LSU baseball. Again, we'll get a, a chance to see what they do against A&M, and then maybe we can kind of uh, have a little bit more concrete data to go off of heading into next week as we talk about them. The LSU women's team is going to start their NCAA tournament today, and, and Kim Mulkey's team, of course, has done incredible things all season long. They have certainly overachieved and uh, or at least exceeded their expectations. We heard Coach Mulkey talk about this throughout the season. Some people complained about the non-conference schedule. She, she said, look, I didn't know my team was going to be this good. I didn't know we were going to be so far along. I didn't know we were going to have the emergence of Angel Reese, right, and, and that she was going to come in as a transfer. So, you know, they have um, only lost two games. One of them was to the number one consensus, no doubt about it, team in the country in South Carolina. So you don't put a whole lot of stock into that um, as far as being, you know, maybe it shows you that LSU is not the best team in the country, but I don't think it tells you that they're not one of the best teams in the country. And then they lost the game to Tennessee in the SEC tournament, which not ideal, but again, Kem Mulkey has said she doesn't love the SEC tournament. And, and when you, as a coach, you say that, Maybe it's tough. It's tough for your players to have that, you know, locked-in level of focus in those games, you know. And and that loss didn't necessarily hurt them too much. Maybe could they have been a two seed instead of a three seed if they'd have won that? Maybe so. But the bottom line is, you're still hosting the first couple rounds of the NCAA women's tournament, which, you know, I have my thoughts on that. I'll talk about that briefly while we bring it up. You know, I um, I'm a huge proponent of on-campus games in general in college sports. I do, however, like the uh, what the men's tournament has with the regional sites. I think there's something awesome, and I was thinking about this. You know, I didn't get the chance to travel to Orlando this year. Just logistically, it wasn't an option for us. But to go to a, play, a site like Orlando and you have four games on that first Thursday, you get a chance to see eight great college basketball teams, um, especially in a, a situation like the Cajuns. It's 12-5 and 13-4 matchups, so you're always going to see competitive, uh, high-level games for the most part in those matchups. I think that's pretty awesome. And now you do still get to see the variety of games within the host sites with LSU, and you'll see them play not only Hawaii tonight, but if they're able to move on, which we expect them to, then you'll see them play the winner of Michigan and UNLV on uh, Sunday. But, you know, I think I do like the host the the host site theory, but I'm I'm just going to go back to what the men's tournament does. If I had to choose, I would I would stick with the host sites. I do understand though fully why the women's tournament decided to do that, and I think they've gotten some great results. You should have an electric PMAC this afternoon um, when when LSU plays, so that should be fun. It should be exciting, and I think the crowds are are certainly probably better at the host sites than they would be at a neutral site. So you know that is something to think about. When it comes to what this team can get done in this tournament, I think we've covered it a lot here on this show, and they're probably a Sweet 16, maybe an Elite 8 team. I think if they got to the Final Four, we'd probably be a little surprised. Not shocked, but certainly anything past that, I don't think we're expecting. They are you know, very impressive, but they rely a lot on Angel Reese and Alexis Morris. And my question for this tournament for them is, can they get production elsewhere? And you know, we've seen it throughout the, the season at, at spurts. We've seen it here and there. You know, Flau J. Johnson's probably the main candidate for that. She's almost at 12 a game. Um, but can, you know, maybe her or maybe Ladeja Williams or Jasmine Carson, can any of those girls sustain success throughout this tournament, play well against Hawaii today, and then back it up and play really well against either UNLV or Michigan, and then carry that into the, you know, potential Sweet 16 matchup if they're to get that far? That's what I think the key for them is because we know Angel Reese is going to show up. We've seen it enough. You don't have, it's not one of those situations you go, well, is she going to be on her game today? I mean, she's been on her game all season, and she's one of the best players in the country. So you don't have any doubt there. And for the most part, you don't have a ton of doubt about Alexis Morris. Maybe she'll have a cold shooting day now and again. 
Um, that's going to happen, of course, just with players that take a lot of shots, though, from the range that she shoots at. So, you know, I think she has a chance to be big in this tournament, and I expect them to beat Hawaii today. Um, I do expect them to get that done. They struggled last year in the first round, and then, of course, they were ultimately beat in the second round by Ohio State, but I do expect them to get through. I will say this, though. I've done a little bit of talking about mid-major seeding and how I'm not a fan of it on the men's side uh, or the women's side and some of the things that go along with that. LSU, of course, in, in case you haven't seen the bracket, they're matched up, as I've just been mentioning, with the winner of the 6-seed Michigan and the 11-seed UNLV, if they were to beat Hawaii. UNLV's record this season is 31-2. and In the most recent AP poll, the Rebels of UNLV were ranked 21st. So the people who follow, follow the sport and write about the sport and care about the sport of women's basketball have ranked them as the 21st best team in the country. And yet, what did the NCAA Selection Committee reward them with as far as a seed in the tournament? An 11 seed. Essentially telling them they're about the 44th best team in the country. So for me, how can you be so far off with your evaluation of a team between what the media and the people who follow this sport and see it and write about it care about and what your selection committee does? I mean, that's even more egregious than any of the stuff we saw in the, on the men's side with some of the seeding. So... You know, from LSU's perspective, I think it, it, it's it's maybe not a great draw for you in, in the regard that you could be playing either a really good Michigan team out of the Big Ten, who's a six seed, or you could play a team that, in my opinion, is grossly underseeded, who's an 11 seed. And in my women's bracket, I actually do have UNLV beating Michigan. I think they're going to get it done. I love a team, and I've said this on the men's side, a team that's won that many games doesn't think they're going to lose. They play games with the expectation that they're going to win. And so I think, look, LSU, I do still think they're better than both Michigan and UNLV. And I, you know, I do have LSU moving on in my bracket past both Friday and potentially Sunday's games. Uh, but that's just something I wanted to point out because I, I started to look into that a little bit. And I, when I saw the record, I said, wow, man, they must have played nobody. And then you get into it and you go, no, they're being ranked in the AP poll. Yet they're an 11 seed. So that's something to keep in mind. And, and that'll be interesting to see. Uh, it, what they're able to do against Michigan, and then, of course, LSU facing Hawaii, and um, we'll see if they're able to make a run. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Kevin Foote, the host of Footnotes, of course, who is not in the studio today, but we're going to get his reaction to the Cajuns' disappointing loss to Tennessee and kind of his perspective, maybe get what it was like in the building, kind of talk about the atmosphere as well as what actually took place. That's coming up next right here on Footnotes. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Dawson Iserlo here in the FCO Development Studios holding things down while our guy Kevin Foote is traveling back from Orlando. But we're going to get an update from him and talk to him this segment about the Cajuns game that he was there to cover last night. So, good morning, and how are you? Oh, you know, um, I'm fighting traffic, and I'm not real good in traffic. So, it is what it is. <laughs> I, I, You know, my worst trip I ever took was to Tallahassee, and now Orlando hasn't been real good. 
I just kind of hope things got have me going west and not back to Florida anytime in the near future, but we'll get through it. Well, we certainly will. So let's let's talk about your stay in Florida, not the travel part. Um, it was a really good game in the end. It didn't always look that way. The Cajuns came out. You know, you had said throughout the day that the rims uh, seemed a bit tight. Nobody was making shots in Orlando. And the Cajuns certainly didn't reverse that trend early on in that game. No, they didn't. Uh, it wasn't. I didn't think the, the 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 examples that I was saying when I was noticing from uh, watching Oral Roberts and them play didn't happen as often. Although the Cajuns didn't shoot it well, um, I, you know, I, I think both teams did what they needed to do defensively. Uh, you know, the Cajuns took away their leading score. He banked in a three. That was the only points that he scored the whole game. And so that part went well. Um, the problem simply was, you know, let's face it, the Cajuns offensively were never as good um, down the stretch. They won the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, but, you know, about what, halfway through the conference season, you know, Cantrell was scoring and Greg was playing great. And down the stretch, I mean, they got zero points from Cantrell and Greg yesterday. And I know we're going to just look at his injury and Greg's injury in the semifinals had something to do with it. But even before that, he wasn't as hot for whatever reason. I can't, I don't really know why, but he just, they weren't taking as many shots. So I'm sure defense has kind of adjusted to him some and they, you're talking about two of your starters basically giving you no offense to little offense down the stretch. Now, you can get away with that if Jordan plays extra great or if Jordan plays well like he normally does, and you're getting two or three other guys doing well. If Terrence would have played like he did in Pensacola last night, I think they win the game. You know, Kobe, I think they went. They took a little too long to go to Kobe. I, I kind of had a good feeling about Kobe, and I kept tweeting out, Got to go to Kobe. Need to go to Kobe. And by, eventually he had his run and he got him back in it. And Jalen did what he's been doing. They just didn't get anyone else to, to join the party offensively. Yeah, and, and I talked about this a little bit. It's like it was a tough thing because Greg is a senior leader and he's a guy who is, you know, m- much of the reason that you're in this position. And so I, I understand fully why you gave him every opportunity to go, and I don't fault them for that. But it, it almost seemed like they'd probably just been better off playing Dalcourt and Kobe more in the first half because once they figured out that those two guys were going to give them offense, that's when the whole game kind of shifted around. Right. No, absolutely. It, it's, no, I don't, it, it's not that I'm necessarily second-guessing anything. It's just the reality of the situation. You know, Tennessee is not the team they were a month ago, and the Cajuns offensively aren't the team they were a month ago. Now, you could argue that, they consistent the Cajuns consistently played better defense down the stretch than they did, you know, a month ago or six weeks ago. But uh, offensively, you know, Greg was, you know, Kentrell was giving him something offensively. Then Greg was Greg was arguably for about you know eight or ten games there the better off even playing better and more consistently offensively than than uh, than even Jordan was, and so. They just not the same team offensively that they were, but I do think they probably guarded better, and I think that was just it was the it, it, I think that was a you know it, these games are important we have to guard better. 
Yeah, and well, I also thought that Bob Marlon did a great job. They had a stretch in the second half where they were giving like different looks every time down the court, and the broadcast team did a great job explaining that. I know you were there, so you didn't hear them, but uh, you know they came down in a two-three zone, then they went to a one-two-one zone, they went back to man-to-man. I thought Bob Marlon and you mentioned they took Vescovi out of the game completely. I, I thought his defensive yeah. game plan was fantastic. On the offensive end. It's funny, we said all week it, it kept kind of getting simplified to, well, you just got to make shots. And in the first half, they didn't even make – it's not they made any shot. They didn't even make a couple of shots, and it got you to the point where you had to make everything in the second half, and they made almost everything, but they just ran out of time. It, did you? I got the sense if they if this game had been four minutes longer, they probably would have won it. it it's just they just ran out of time. Uh, that That is possible. They just started a little too late, and – um, you know, I don't even know. I mean, they missed some shots. Like, Terrence missed some shots in the lane that he normally makes. He was great at that all year long. Right. But I really don't think, you know, in the first half, they didn't get a lot of shots. Tennessee is really look. Tennessee is very good defensively against, you know, even upper echelon teams. They're very good defensively. They're just so big inside, and, they, and they're so long. Even their guards are big. You know, their guards are – you know, they don't have, like, Terrence Fulk, kind of, I mean, Seamus Fulk kind of guards. They have, like, big, long 6'4", 6'3", guards with long arms, and they just, uh, I, you know, they made the passing lanes very tough. It was hard to go in and get it back out. And, you know, that's, that's, we knew that Tennessee was great defensively, and they, and they showed. But in the first half, they didn't even really get a lot of good shots. They missed a couple good shots, but they struggled just to get shots off. And, uh, you know, the disappointing thing was they, they, you thought they could turn over uh, Tennessee some, and they did. They had fewer turnovers in the end. They made more field goals, like Coach Marlin said. And they held their leading score to three points, and they still lost the game. I remember when it was 1919, I'm thinking, I looked to my left and told Evan, I said, they haven't, Tennessee hasn't scored in six and a half minutes, and the Cajuns don't have the lead. That's not good. Well, yeah, and you know, free throws were a factor. Now Tennessee missed a bunch of them, but uh, they certainly shot a lot more as well. So, you, well, you got a chance to to hear Coach Marlin after the game and and hear some of the guys. So, what was kind of the overarching message afterwards? You know, I'm sure they were upset, but also you you kind of have to look at the positives of what was a, a great season. Well, certainly, you know, I um, I think I know you say you either win or you lose. But if they played the whole game and got beat twenty, and I don't know, it, it that's just it's to me. It's still a lot better to at least play, and, and at least they made a run. They cut an eighteen point lead to three, and you know, you know, I think they kind of. I think the officials missed a travel call. They called a foul on Jalen down the stretch. That could have maybe made a difference. So. At least they got it to where one or two plays could have made a difference in the game instead of just, you know, shooting, you know, doing the equivalent. I remember going to Georgia Tech in the 90s for the baseball team and and Starkville, and they didn't even reach second base. I mean, at least they reached second base. And so that was, um, you know, that was good. That I think they were put them in better spirits. They are, everyone's been pulling for Kobe for you know two years, and Kobe had that great stretch where he scored eleven points in that thirteen zero run that that cut it to five. So, you know, I think they felt better about it, and they, it, it's just 
They didn't make shots in the first half. They essentially they lost the game in that in that four or five minute stretch at the end of the first half. Where even though not only were they not up when they should have been up, and they just made a few shots before you knew it, it was halftime and you were down eleven. You're like, what just happened? And I think that four and a half minute stretch is was the difference in the game. Yeah, I, I would agree there. So so let's take a look a little bit about the future of this team. You've, we know of the guys that are definitely going to be gone. That's Greg and Terrence Lewis, um, and, you know, among a couple of others. But Jordan is kind of this, you know, we expect him to leave, but he's got eligibility if he wants to come back. Do you, do you think there's any chance he comes back? And then other than that, you know, how do you see this roster and, and Coach Marlin's team as they move towards next season? Well, I think probably the good money is on him leaving. I do think he likes it here. I think all of that stuff that he says is is sincere. You know, they kind of tested the waters before this season, and, and not that they didn't want to come back, just kind of the pro waters, and I'm sure they're going to test it again. And if they like what they hear, then he'll go. And, and if they don't like, I don't think it's totally out of the question that he would stay, although, I don't, you know, I'm sure, unless they just really hear something that makes them think that, you know, he's got no shot for whatever reason at, at the next level. I, I, uh, I do think they sincerely like it, and he's enjoyed his time here. And obviously, they love this season. I think he's probably going. I mean, they're going to have to go out in the portal or something and, and get some, you know, and, and replace what they're going to be losing up front, especially if Jordan does leave, like most of us expect to do. You know, they they, they really like the. Um, the young shooter, but again, he's a he's a shooter shooter. I mean, you know, he he seems like he's going to be the kind that's going to shoot you in and out of games. And so we'll see how his uh, judgment can mature as the season goes on next year. Well, and then you know, the last one I'll have for you is is what about Kobe Julian? Because this was the year. It's just been so tough. You already kind of hinted on it, and everybody's rooting for him. But we still see these flashes like last night where you go, yeah, that's the guy who was a top recruit and had big-time power conference offers. Does he finally have a chance maybe to have an offseason and stay healthy? I guess we know he's never going to fully be what he once was athletically just when your knees have gone through that much. But does he have a chance to come back and maybe try to be the focal point of what they put together next year? Well, I think it's possible. I think he talked like, he was coming back last night, but again, you know that's right out a press conference right after your season just ended. So you take all of that with a grain of salt. But no, I mean, I mean, who knows if he's going to be healthy? If he's healthy, I think he's got a chance. I mean, I think he's got big time range. I think he can go to the basket. I think you know he's a great team guy and all that stuff. And again, everyone's pulling for him. I think it's possible, but you know, to, to count on him. Uh, you know, with with three knee surgeries and with the last four years, that that's that's tough. That's, that'll be tough to count on him. I think he needs to be very good line yop if if it works out. All right. Well, we will be happy to have you back in the studio on Monday. Well, actually, you'll be uh, possibly at the golf scramble. We'll have to figure that out as well. But we will get you back on Monday. So uh, that'll be fun, and uh, thanks for catching up with us. So the Saints the Saint didn't just pick up like somebody great since we last spoke. Stuff just keeps happening lately. Yeah, I know. Well, that's why I so that's why I kind of left the Saints out of it. I'm sure they'll have something done by Monday because they just keep making moves. Well, they had some charges dropped against the safety, so I guess that's good. 
Yeah, I didn't hear that. So, yeah, I accept all good news. Need that. <laughs> all right. We'll see you, Kevin. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes on the Game. Dawson Izerlo in for Kevin Foote. we got a couple of segments left, and so I know there's been some people trying to call throughout the last couple of days, and I kind of explained some of the difficulties involved with that, but I think we've kind of figured out a way to make it work for now. So we're going to have the phone lines open in this segment. If you want to get in and give some comments about Cajuns basketball, LSU basketball, uh, or baseball, anything we've covered, 337-706-0111 is the line. Just make sure to keep it clean for everybody, and uh, we can kind of address some of that. But, you know, I, I think final thoughts on the Cajuns, and, and I know that, you know, Kevin talked about it and some of the things that, that he felt about the game, which I think were pretty similar. You know, it was a game that they, they didn't hit enough shots early on, and that's, you know, that's tough to swallow when you're a team that, you know, did all they did to get there. I think that's another thing that kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. Um, and I used to say this about the NFL playoffs every year when, you know, when the Saints lost games and specifically when the, the NFC no call happened and people, you know, after the dust settled and everyone was, you know, so frustrated and people were like, well, we'll be back. And I was like, y'all just don't realize how difficult it is to get back to this moment. Like, even if the Saints run it back and they bring the whole roster back, like, this is the NFL. I mean, you're one play away from not being there the next year. And that ended up being the case. We never saw that team get back to the NFC Championship game after that. And so that's why I, you know, thought it was uh, ridiculously egregious and horrific that they didn't get that call because that's how difficult it is. And so for the Cajuns, that's the part that stings a little bit for me. Again, I, I tried to keep a positive mindset about the whole situation. The part that does sting is that you don't know when the next time you're going to be in that situation is. The Sun Belt is getting better. There are 14 teams. I have no doubt that Bob Marlin and his staff are going to put together a really good team going into next year, but they might have injuries again. Again, that's what plagued them for so long coming into the season is they couldn't stay healthy. This year they did. So I hope they get back to this moment, and I hope they're right back in the NCAA tournament next year, but there's a good chance that they won't be. So I tried to enjoy it the whole time. So, all right, let's go to the game hotline. You're live on Footnotes. Uh, who are we talking to and what's on your mind? Yeah, I just – it was a good game, man. It showed a great fight, though. And, I, you know, I was talking with people last night, and I was telling them in the first half of the game that the guard play was better. They could have went that game. You know, there's only, I mean, only a couple of – every other possession, they were turning the ball over, you know. It was they just were. sloppy guard play. And that's what ultimately did them in. Man, I thought they had to at least hit like eight threes to win that game. They hit six in the second half. But in the first half, they couldn't hit enough shots to even, you know, take over the game because Tennessee was doing the same exact thing they were doing. They were. You know? And, and theme is, so, you know, I understand that the it's tough with the turnovers, and he still he just throws it away sometimes. But also, I mean, he had 11 assists, so at the end of the day, for me, it's like not only – yeah, he, he cost you with his turnovers, but he also got you in it with his playmaking at certain points too. But he definitely didn't play as well as he probably would have liked. And how, he certainly didn't play as well as he played in the Sunbelt tournament. So that was disappointing. Now, let me ask you something. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just being curious. In, I, you think the 
Bob Martin has maxed out as a coach. I think he needs to get a, a, a better coach, man. Uh, like a you know a better, younger, energetic coach with a voice that get out there can recruit these kids and persuade them to come to UL. You, know, I mean, you don't think? I mean, well, I understand the, the Marlin thing is stale. I think it's stale, man. I mean, he's a good coach and whatever, but I don't think he's a good enough coach to take them to the next level. I think it's time for a fresh face, new voice, and a voice that can be heard with these young kids of today. What you think? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being critical. I'm not taking a shot or whatever. I'm just giving my opinion. I'm gonna hang up and listen. Okay, thank you for the call. Look, I won't. I won't completely dismiss what what he had to say there because I I, I can get that where he's coming from about maybe this is this is it for Bob Marlin. This is you know this is the peak, and maybe winning that game and moving to the second round would have been the peak as well. I don't. I don't think so. Just because. I don't know how much better you can do in the Sunbelt Conference the way it's currently constructed. Um, you know, there's only so many 12 and 13 seeds that can make a run to the Sweet 16 in a Cinderella fashion, you know, the way that Oral Roberts has done and St. Peter's has done. In the Sunbelt, essentially, your ceiling is make a run, win the conference tournament, and get in as a 12 seed. And no matter what, you're going to. Every you know, even if you do that every year, the way you know, let's say Georgia State's been able to do, they've been able to win the Sun Belt pretty consistently. They haven't been out of the second round of the NCAA tournament either. So, I don't think it's a matter of Bob Marlin ceiling being where it is. I think he can come back potentially and be just as good or better with his teams in the future. But I do think the Sun Belt has to get better. Now they've taken steps towards that, and that's the maybe the encouraging thing. This year, the league was better than it's been. You had. You know, how many teams with 25 wins, three teams with 25 wins, or four even, I think, if James Madison got there. So that's the hope for me. But I think the other thing that I'd say about maybe moving on and trying to find a young, hot coach who can do things like that is maybe be careful what you wish for. Because Bob Marlin, as we've discussed, runs a clean program. The Cajuns don't get in trouble off the court. We, I mean, it's, it's hardly ever you hear an instance of something like that. He hasn't had any NCAA violations. And he's also the winningest coach in Sunbelt history. So I understand the idea of uh, let's get somebody in here who can bring in all this top talent the way Will Wade is maybe going to do at McNeese. Um, but you also start to play with dangerous territory in some of those situations as far as you know losing the great reputation that your program has. And sometimes maybe the ceiling will be higher on a younger, fresher coach, but the floor will certainly be lower. And Bob Marlin has built a sustained winning program in the conference, so Personally, that's not the direction I would go, but I, I wouldn't completely dismiss what he had to say there. Let's go Let's go back to the game hotline. You're live on Footnotes. Uh, who are we talking to and what's on your mind? Morning, d How you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing okay, Martin. How are you? Oh, man, I'm making I'm making Man, I always like calling after Ron. You know? uh, but, hey, what, what time is uh, the All-Robbers and Duke game today? Did they play today? No, they played yesterday. Duke beat them. Oh, they Oh, okay. Okay, my bad. Yep. So, I'm guessing Duke won that game, right? Yeah, they I did. They won okay. by a good bit. Uh, I hate to say this, but uh, if season comes in there next round, because uh, I don't, I don't think they can beat Tennessee. You know, but uh, no hard feelings against my buddy Ronnie. You know, <laughs> I keep, I, I keep telling Footy, you need to go fishing with Ronnie. But anyway, uh. That's all I had. I didn't know if they had played not uh, or, or or I hadn't been kind of following the scores or not. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it was kind of exciting yesterday. They had a few upsets, you know, here and there. Right. Uh, but 
think uh, Alabama is going to take the whole thing, man. And roll tide, buddy. <laughs> All right. Call. Thank you for the call. All right. Let's go back to the game hotline. You're live on Footnotes. Uh, who are we talking to? What's on your mind? How's it going, Dawson? It's going pretty good. You know, remember when I called to talk to you and Kevin last week and I said the Cajuns needed to have the best athletes on the court? I guess I flew right on that. And I guess we didn't do it long enough, quick enough because we needed all the athletes we could to get on the court. And when we got our court and Colby on the court, that was our best athletes. And that's when we had our best chance to be Yeah, that's, you know, I, I talked about that. It was, again, I, I, I don't know if there was a way to have, you know, foreseen that other than if they really knew Greg wasn't going to be a hundred percent, maybe you thought to do that quicker, but you know, you got to rely on your best guys and Greg unfortunately just didn't have it. And I I've said it too. I just feel for him because he was so good all year and that's not the way he wanted to go out. I know that, but on the bright side, yeah, Kobe and Jalen and Dalcourt's another senior. I think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle and he came and, and he showed you, if anything, that guy knows how to play must-win games. I mean, he was just rock solid every time you need a shot. And he was the guy, give him credit for stepping up and hitting that first three. Because that, that seemed to loosen everybody up, go, wait a minute, okay, we're just playing basketball. He knocks down a shot, and then the rally got started. You just you wish maybe he could have done it in the first half and, and gotten things going sooner. Well, I, see, I'm not going to give him all in the past that they could have foreseen it. I foresaw it. I knew that, you know, we did, that our starting five, we just, we don't have the significant athleticism on there. Look, Kentrell Garnett, I love him for that. Before he was a deer in the head last night. I mean, he he looked like he was well over his head, way over his head. Uh, poor Michael Thomas went out there. I think he stole the ball from him two trips down the court. I mean, he was way over his head. You know, it does. The thing is, you, I know you have a system. I know you trust these guys, but you have to see what what you're going up against the players that. They're going to have to go out there to give a shot to win. Well, yeah, and, and and I think certainly the the lack of NCAA tournament experience versus Tennessee, who had been there before, in that first half, you saw that for a good stretch. I would agree with you on that. I think those guys, some of those guys just, and they just played nervous, even Themis too. Like they just, they seemed like they were trying to do too much, and it took them until that second half when they were down by so much. They finally settled down and just played basketball. But before that, and I agree, yeah, they just, it, it it did seem like the moment was too big for a couple of guys, but again, I mean, when you're playing in your first NCAA tournament as a college kid, I, I understand that too, you know. Yeah, I know, I know. It's just so bad. It's just, it's just frustrating when I, you know, I saw what I, I knew was I thought was going to happen, and it right. happened. It's just like I predicted what was going to happen. I didn't want that to happen, but I saw it happen, and and it didn't make the change quick enough, and you know. But it is what it is. You know, they came back. I knew they would. They did it all year long. Uh, you know, they did it against Drake early in the year. They went down like by 22 against them. They came back almost won it. ODU, they were down for a big time against them. They came back almost won it. I knew they were going to make a run, but it just wasn't enough. And have a good day. Yep. All right. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I understand that the sentiment there, and, and it's just tough the way it all played out and that they that they didn't hit enough shots early on because – you know, I, I still think, though, I, I'm with Kevin. I'm so happy that they fought back and, and made that showing in the second half because, you know, it it was it did mean a lot to be where they were. And a lot of people were watching that game that don't necessarily watch the Cajuns often, right? Not only UL fans, but, uh, you know, Louisiana sports fans, national sports fans, they got to see the Cajuns and what that's all about. And I don't think you wanted to show them 
um, you know, a, a bad performance in which you lost by 25. So to fight back and do that, you know, and I did see some things on Twitter of people. It's always funny when you get to these big games, you know, because I follow along on Twitter throughout the season and, and kind of, you know, I don't interact with all of them, but I see people's comments and you could tell there was a lot of people tweeting and commenting about the game that haven't watched any UL basketball because they were, you know, making just comments that didn't quite make sense about guys who were playing and this and that. And that's going to come with the territory. Again, you're playing in games that fortunately people are watching that don't always watch. That's what happens when you make these big games and that's when you play in front of a bigger audience. But uh, I did think it was funny to see some people commenting on some of the rotations and stuff. It's like, all right, guys. The Bob Marlin's been, you know, this team's been playing. They played 30, 30 something games this year, and this is this is how they run. It's it's okay. But anyway, um, all that being said, it was a great performance uh, throughout the season, and I'm glad I got that we got to watch it. We'll have one more segment coming up after the break, um, and that'll be it for this week on Footnotes. This is Footnotes on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Dawson Iserlow filling in for Kevin Foote for one final segment um, on this week. What what a week it really was when you when you take a look back at it. Um, We got the Saints making moves everywhere, signing players, signing defensive tackles, signing running backs, signing Michael Thomas, signing Jameis Winston. Um, Mickey Loomis just just making a mockery of the rest of the league with the way he manages the cap. We had the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns play their first NCAA tournament game in almost 10 years and give Tennessee everything they wanted and then some. Um, just coming short, 58-55. to 55. We saw McNeese officially hire Will Wade, the former LSU coach, of course, who had some allegations and sanctions, and his departure from Baton Rouge wasn't the uh, prettiest situation, but he gets a second chance just down the road on I-10 over in Lake Charles. Um, it, it was, And then, of course, we saw the, uh, the rest of the NCAA tournament, a couple of huge upsets. Princeton, the 15th seed in the Ivy League, taking down Arizona. And that just sets up what's going to be an exciting weekend in sports. We will have more NCAA tournament first-round games. Not only a whole slate, uh, another full slate of men's games today, but the first full slate of NCAA women's tournament games today. So, I mean, there is going to be no shortage of basketball if that's uh, the type of thing you're into. I know I am. I can't wait to see some of the upsets and madness that takes place with today's games. Um, You know, there is... Quite a lot going on that we didn't even really get to cover. I didn't even get to touch on Cajun baseball, softball today. I mean, I really wanted to fit that in, but we just kind of ran out of time. I will say briefly, the Cajuns will start baseball conference play tonight against Arkansas State. I mean, I can't even – you talk about overloading Kevin. You know, our guy Kevin Foote likes to talk about sometimes he's just overloaded. There's too much going on. He can't focus on all of it. I haven't even thought about the fact that conference play begins tonight, really. I mean, other than the few times we we brought it up this week, you know – they're going to play conference games like the you know the the conference records they start counting tonight. And uh, Arkansas State is a middle of the pack to bottom tier Sunbelt team that in theory at home 
you should win this series. And, uh, you know, a sweep would be great. A one series would be necessary. And if you lose this series, it's not time to, you know, sound the panic alarms. It's baseball. But it's certainly a series you'd like to win to get things going in the right direction there. Um, You know, the Cajun softball team is also going to start conference play. They'll play Southern Miss on the road. I worry less about that because, again, they haven't lost a conference series in nine years. And that is one of the most ridiculous stats in the country. Again, I'll say it as any chance I get to say it because I just don't think – I haven't even fully comprehended how crazy it is. You understand how – and softball is maybe not quite as wide open as baseball and the whole anyone can any win any given day thing because in softball you can generally throw your ace pitchers more often. But it's still such a difficult sport to not have a bad weekend in every once in a while, right? And they haven't had a bad conference weekend in a decade. So they'll put that on the line. And, you know, again, me and me and Kevin Foote have said that it's going to be tough to keep that going. But um, Jerry Glasgow's squad has been up to the task before. And we'll see if they can kind of get things going in the right direction starting this weekend in Hattiesburg. Um, as we've talked about, LSU... Big weekend for them. The women's team is going to have a really good opportunity to get to the Sweet 16 if they can win tonight and on Sunday at the PMAC. It'll be home games. I'm sure the crowd's going to be electric over there. I don't have any doubts about that. So that should be fun. The baseball team is the number one team in the country, and they get their first big test of the year as they go on the road to A&M. And LSU softball, who has been very good this season, they host top five Tennessee um, in what promises to be an exciting softball series. That's also at home at Tiger Park. So a whole lot going on in Baton Rouge and on the road for the Tigers. Uh, Same for the Cajuns, as we've already mentioned, and the Cowboys and Cowgirls of McNeese. So all that should be fun. The Saints are uh, rolling, and then there's the Pelicans. So we'll see what they can do. So that'll do it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and I enjoyed uh, getting to fill in for Kevin, but that'll do it for this week. Again, the weather's bad, so be safe out there. Have a good day.